someone cares about you, someone loves you, and things can always be worked out. Even when you feel like there's no other way, and nobody cares, and everything is just horrible, talk to one person and they can help. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 94. Today I have a very dear friend, one of my favorite triathlon people. We've been friends since the early part of my journey. I met her actually turning in my bike for tri-transport to send to my first 70.3. Today I welcome the one and only Annette Malesio. Annette Malesio is an active duty Army Military Police. She has been on active duty for over 15 years and has four years left to retire. She's always been a runner and being in the Army running and rocking has always been something she's used to. She's completed 13 full distance Ironman races, 140.6 is the number of miles, one Half an Ironman 70.3, two 55K ultramarathons, and one 50K ultramarathon. She completed her 12th Ironman race in September in Chattanooga. And after 12 Ironman races, you can apply for what's called a legacy program to obtain a spot in the Kona Ironman World Championship. And that has been her goal. After doing number 12 in September, her initial plan was to wait until next year to do her validation race. That's a part of the process as well. But she was talked into doing number 13 in Cozumel. She also has other goals. Her goal is to complete a 50-miler and a 100-miler in the future once she has completed her Kona Ironman World Championship race. Annette is amazing. I don't think I've known any other person who is so diligent with their training and so goal-oriented as far as the legacy program. She not only is an amazing athlete, she's an amazing friend. She's always there to give advice, give words of encouragement. She can be your biggest cheerleader. So let's welcome Annette to the show. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to start as a child. Were you an athlete? Did you participate in any sports at that time? I did. I ran cross country and track in high school. So yes. So did you enjoy running high school cross country? Yeah, I enjoyed running. So which events did you do for track? For track, I did four by eight, the mile, the two mile. Um, and I think there's like a two mile relay or mile relay, something like that in there. Okay. So did you like distance more than say short? 
I did like distance the cross country better just because track, it was kind of like an all day event. You have to be at the track all day because all the different heats and it was like sitting there all day and cross country kind of just did your thing left after that. So. So did you continue to run throughout your life or did you, do you have a pause and you picked it back up? I went into the army, so I continued to, to run, not like I was doing high school running, but it was different because army, everything is pretty much like running in platoons, which is like a group of people, a very organized run, mm-hmm. but I continue to run. When did you join the military right out of high school? Right out of high school, I did four years and then I got out, I got my degree and then I went back in after. So what made you want to join the military? What um, attracted you to the military? Getting out of Chicago. (laughs) 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 Uh, Pretty much that's why. Okay. And you were in in the Army? Is that correct? I am in the Army, yes. Active duty Army. What's your position now in the military? I am an MP. I'm currently a chief instructor at the schoolhouse. So basically I have instructors under me and uh, we teach two different classes. They come to the school and get the two different classes that we teach. So MP, military police? Military police, yes. What drew you to being a police as far as being in the military? Did you start in, in another aspect of the military? Well, I actually wanted to be a cop. So that was just something I always kind of wanted to do. But I was just going to the military and then I kind of asked, like, is there something like a cop? And they were like, oh, yeah, actually, there's, you know, military police. And then that's how I got into it. Before you were in the military and you went to school and came back, were you in the military police prior to going back to school? So I came back as a military police when I came back into the military. I came back as a military police. And then when I got out, I was just going to school and working. Actually, I was working at the Department of Human Services, which is like a public aid so what made you return back to the military after you left? You, most people leave and don't come back. Is that correct? Uh, a lot of people leave and wish that they could go back just because, I don't know, it's so different than being in like the civilian sector where everything is very organized, you know, everything is very structured. You tell somebody to do something, it's going to get done. In the civilian sector, is definitely not like that. So a lot of people miss it when they get out. And I definitely missed it. That's why I went back in. So you like structure? Very structured. (laughs) (laughs) So how many tours have you done in the military? I've done three tours overseas. Where? Iraq. Now all of them were in Iraq? All of them were in Iraq, yes. Okay. You mentioned rucking in your bio. What exactly is that? If I'm saying it correctly. Rucking is maybe like hiking. You just have a backpack with X amount of pounds. So usually nothing in the army is it's usually standard uh, pounds that you have to carry is like 30, 35 could go up to like 65, 85. A lot of the guys infantry carry that much. And then you do different amount of distances, usually, you know, 10 to or eight to say maybe like 20 something. And it's through mountains, through whatever. Sometimes it's very organized, like platoon wide. Sometimes everybody just kind of does their own thing and they just say you have to be finished by X amount of time. So it just depends. And rucking has is, is what it messed my back up. My back is really jacked up because of that. So when I see, when I did the Marine Corps and I saw the guys with backpacks, so it was up to what, 60 pounds and they ran a whole marathon with the flag and with the big old backpack. 
So it depends. It could be as little and as or up to as much weight. And some people, when they do those kind of events, it's usually for specific calls or they do it like in memory of somebody and there's a different, like, you know, specific purpose for why they're carrying the X amount of weight that they're carrying for that. Okay. Okay. So you've been running all of your life. What got you into endurance running as far as marathons and ultras? Well, I didn't do anything over a half marathon until I got into the whole triathlon world. I thought the half marathon was holy crap, that's so far. I don't know if I was going to be able to do a half marathon, you know? And then when I got into this Ironman thing, that's when I kind of got into the long distance running. Um, I didn't even run my first marathon until I did my first Ironman. And then after I did my first Ironman, I got into the ultra running. And that's kind of where my running has taken a, a different level of considered long distance now is getting into the ultra running. So what got you into even running half marathons? I've just always liked to run and kind of always wanted a challenge. So I was thinking that a half Ironman was this huge. So that's kind of like where I was like, oh, I want to do something, you know, awesome. And I would kind of talk to the guys in my unit or talk to some of my friends and they'd be like, you should do a, you know, half marathon. So I had did a couple prior to getting into like the Ironman training. And I thought that I was, it was like such a big deal. I mean, it's a, it is a huge deal, but I didn't think that I would ever go beyond that, that distance. So what was your first race? Do you remember your first half? My first half, I think was Surf City in California. Yeah, because I've ran the Army 10 miler, but that's just 10 miles. And I had did that long, like, you know, for a lot of years. The one in D.C.? So I ran it in D.C. a few times. And I actually ran it in Iraq with my squad. And they were so mad at me because they were definitely not runners. And when we were in Iraq, we did not have time to do PT or anything. And I was like, we are going to bond. We're going to do <laughs> We're going to do some team building. And they were so pissed. And I was like, look, we do this. We're not going to have no mission tomorrow. We're not going to have to do no mission today. Well, that was like the day I was like, we don't have to do any missions, which missions means basically going outside of the wire. What does that mean? What's the wire? Inside the wire is basically considered the green zone where it's pretty much safe. Okay. As safe as it could be. And then going outside the wire, you're basically going into an area that's not safe. You're going to, you're driving around, going to wherever and anything could happen obviously on so i was like we're not have to go on mission it's, we're gonna do a team building and so they were so mad and i was like you're gonna do it whether you like it or not we did it they complained but it was so fun because we definitely stuck together as a squad we waited for the last person and we ran out to get the last person and bring them back in and they were like i guess you're right sorry like it was a good idea we went to have breakfast but the next day Nobody could walk. We were oh, because so, it was so hard. Now you <laughs> so sorry. We were trying to get in our vehicles. Now we have these huge. They're called MRATs. There's these huge vehicles that up armored, and you have to like climb into. Climb into. Like, mm-hmm. Girl, we could not even walk. They were like, if we get ambushed, we're just gonna let them take us today because we can't fight. We're hurt. Oh my we're goodness. So yeah, it was so funny. They, for like a week, everybody was limpy. <laughs> and were they? And they were mad at you. I bet so mad at me they were just like yeah it was good in the moment but we can't walk so (laughs) you just told them to keep doing it and you won't be sore anymore right that wasn't gonna happen so what made you start doing triathlons what made you transition into triathlons from your half marathons it's gonna get a little deep 
I didn't really even know anything about Iron Man. I've not, I didn't even know what Iron Man was, never heard of it. I just knew that I wanted to do something. I've heard of like triathlons and I was like, oh, you know, I think that I may want to do a triathlon. I had came back from my last deployment and I had a really, really rough deployment, really bad deployment. We got hit a lot. We lost people. People got hurt. And I was just not in a good headspace. And so something happened. I got into a really bad place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, survivor's guilt is real. And I was not in a good headspace. I had came up with a perfect plan to basically commit suicide. Oh, no. I know. I'm getting a little bit emotional. But obviously it didn't happen. But in that plan that it didn't happen, I was like, I need to get myself together. Like, how can I get out of this depression that I'm in? Is there a way out? Am I ever going to be back to myself? And so that's kind of when I started looking up the triathlon stuff. I found a group in California and went to a meeting. I didn't even own a bike. I don't think I had ridden a bike since I was like seven. Somebody let me use their mountain bike and it was like 30 pounds. And I'm like with this, <laughs> I had a basket and everything. I was just oh, like, really? <laughs> I was just riding this little bike doing seven miles. And I thought I was, woo, I'm hot stuff. So I did one sprint, one Olympic, and I really liked it. I liked the structure. I liked the group of people that I guess a triathlon attracts people. It's very military where it's have a lot of camaraderie and we're like, everybody's crazy and everybody motivates and pushes each other and encourages each other. And so that's the first time that I ever felt welcomed and accepted in civilian world. And like not saying civilian world derogatory, just when you're in the military for so long, yeah, you feel so different because it's, you feel like you can only connect with those people because the way you talk and the way you joke about things is so different. But then with the Ironman world or the triathlon world, it's the same thing. So anyway, so I felt welcomed. Okay, I like the structure. I was feeling good. When I was training, it helped me concentrate and it helped me deal with the things that I was going through. And so a lot of times when I came home and I was with my family and I was having a good time. I would remember my soldier that lost their life mm -hmm. and I would be like, you know, his family is not happy right now. And then that would make me not be happy. And I would completely shut down with my family, you know, with my kids. And when I was training, I was like, I'm dedicating this time to him, to talk to him, to think about what I'm doing so that when I was home with my family, I'm like, they deserve to have me now. And so that kind of helped me get back to my old self and helped me kind of split myself into when I'm training, that's when I'm going to dedicate myself to him and talk to him and help me get through the horrible things that I went through. When I'm with my family, I'm going to dedicate my time to them because, you know, dealing with it when you're training, it's, it takes a lot of time away from your family. So that really helped me separate the two and be okay with being happy with my family and then being happy when I was training. And so it really helped me get from a really bad, dark place to where I am right now. And I still have issues. And it's crazy because it's, you know, like 10 years have passed, but there's still moments where I still think about stuff. You know, when I feel myself getting into that bad headspace, I'm like, okay, let me just get on my bike for an hour. Let me go run. And it doesn't only have to be exercise. And that's one of the things that I try to put out to my soldiers when they're dealing with that. Like you just have to find something to be able to escape in so that you don't get caught up in your own thoughts once you get caught in those thoughts and you just get to thinking, you get to thinking, it's really, really hard and very scary place to get out of. 
I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you another question because part of my podcast is not just about running or sports. It's about the mental aspect because I started running when my mom passed away and I was, I was severely depressed. I had therapy, but the running helped too. Did you have therapy in addition to triathlons when you were going through this phase of your life? I don't want anybody to not get therapy because I didn't. I tried and I didn't like it. I had, you know, a couple of people that I went to. So I remember one person that I went to, the lady, I was telling her stuff and she was getting so emotional and she was about to cry. She's like, you know, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. And I'm like, bro, like, I need you to keep it together for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that really, I was like, I just, I don't need anybody to feel sorry for me or to feel pity for me. I think it's easier to talk to somebody that has served versus going to therapy. I would agree because they can relate to what you're going through. Because they are, yeah, they understand and I don't have to explain and break things down because if they're not in the military, you have to break everything that you're saying down because they don't understand military term, like verbiage and it can just make it frustrating. So I did it on my own. And obviously that is not like the healthiest way, because like I said, I, I you know, I went from almost taking my life to a, a better place, but I feel like maybe with therapy, I could have dealt with it with the situation better, but I didn't. I mean, it works for some people. I didn't think it worked for me. So no, I didn't seek that avenue. I mean, that's reasonable. And also, I think that some people with therapy, I'm not saying that you did, but some people that go to one person and they say it's not for them. But I think it's kind of sometimes like dating, like you have to find that perfect person for you. And it might take a long process if if you find that therapy is good, but it might not be good with just one person. So just want to put that out there. Not for you, but just for everybody listening. I have really, really good friends that t- they always tell me, like, I feel like you need to be, I, that closure with, you know, my soldier, it's never going to close because I feel like it should have been me. And I'm never going to take, like, even my dad, he gets so mad when I say that. Like, I, I still wish it was me because he was one day away from turning 22 and I had already got married. I had kids, you know, I'm like, he didn't even live his life. If I could have changed position with him, I, I wish it was me. It wasn't me. So it's like, that's something that's always going to be there. And I don't think talking to anybody is ever going to change that. That's true. I think with loss, any kind of loss, you you don't ever, ever get over it. You just kind of learn how to deal and process it. Right. You just learn how to deal with it a little bit better every day. Yeah, I feel like you kind of dig yourself out of a hole. And then sometimes you fall back into that hole and it's like, how am I going to dig myself? You know, but you don't fall that deep into the hole because it's sometimes like, you know, you cover it up a little. So it's like you don't fall all the way down the hole. You might fall like a quarter down and then you'd make it up and then you might fall back down as long as you don't fall back all the way down. In season six, I will continue the segment as the doc. If you have any questions or concerns related to muscular skeletal health, please Email me at running is cheaper than therapy olb at gmail.com. Send me a social media message via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or go to my website at www.weouilife.com. Click on the prompt and leave a voice message. Select messages will be aired and answered thank you so after you started doing triathlons and you started training with your group doing sprints and olympics what made you say i'm gonna try this ironman journey and after several several races which we'll get into but what made you say i'm gonna take the plunge into an ironman 
which is some people never do and some people don't want to do when some people just never get to that that point because it's pretty intensive training and pretty intensive racing. Well, you know, I'm crazy. So I literally only did one sprint, one Olympic, like a couple months apart, signed up for a half, not even a couple months later. Before even doing my half, I signed up for a full. So I signed up for Oceanside, which Oceanside was my first half. And then before I did Oceanside, I signed up for Arizona before I had even did a half. And everybody's like, what? You're crazy. I hadn't even been in the sport five months. So were you a swimmer? I mean, I know you've been running your whole life. Were you a swimmer? So I swam, but not this kind of swimming. You know, like I knew how to swim. I don't think anybody, unless you're a swimmer, like a high school collegiate or something, swimmer swims like Ironman. I I don't even know how to do flip turns. I touch the wall, you know, and go back. And I don't know how to do all these strokes. I just know how to freestyle. And that's it. So... Did you get a coach or you said, um, some people like training themselves, like what was your process in getting yourself ready for your half and your full Ironman? I did get a coach and because I wasn't a super strong swimmer like everybody else, especially in California, they have really good, strong swimmers. My coach was, he was a really good swimmer. His name was uh, Daryl Myrick. He grew up swimming. He was a high school and I think collegiate swimmer and he swam for the police department or something. I don't know. So He really, really helped me on my swim. And then I wasn't a cyclist. So the cycling was the hardest thing for me. And it was very frustrating because I was just not good at it. That was another hard thing, like trying to figure out how to be a strong cyclist when you're not really a strong cyclist and, you know, try to understand cadence and this and that. And so that was frustrating for me. I knew I wasn't good at it. So I wanted to work hard. So I worked hard in the pool and I worked hard uh, on the bike. You know, running is running. So I wasn't worried about being the best runner. I was like, I need to make it out of the water and I need to get off the bike. So how did you find your coach? Was it just some of the people that you train with or? So I met him through mutual friends. I asked one of the girls that I know from another group. I was like, hey, she was really strong at everything. And I was like, hey, who trains you? And she introduced me to him. And I, that's how I got caught up in that group. And they were a very intense Ironman training group. Um, and I'm still friends with them. And I actually went back to my old coach, which which was zero. He's trading me again. So tell me about your first 70.3 race, that experience. Girl, my first 70.3, I was so excited. I trained so hard and I ended up crashing on the bike. Horrible, horrible crash. So I did my swim fairly decent. I think it was like 40 something minutes. I don't know. It was an ocean swim. Ocean swim, super choppy. Salt water. So did you have a lot of practice in the ocean with your coach and with your team? I did. That was one of the good things that in California, you can swim pretty much year round. So I did have swimming outside, but not like San Diego. It was super choppy. I was used to, we, we would swim in like side of a bay where it was pretty calm. And, and then the shock of swimming with all these people on top of you was the scariest thing in the world to me. Finally make it out of the swim onto the bike. I was making pretty decent time on the bike. And then at the aid station, you know how they say, if you're not going to take anything, you stay to the left. If you're going to take stuff, you stay, stay to the right. So I'm all the way to the left. It was the last 10 miles of the bike. So I'm all the way to the left, not going to take nothing. And a guy decides to slam on his brakes right in front of me. So it was either crash into him or slam on my brakes and risk flipping over. 
So I went and I was trying to get around him, but it happened so fast, crashed into him. He flew off his bike. I flipped over my bike. To this day, I still have road rash scars. My handlebars bent. I was just bleeding all over because I was completely road rash. The guy basically told him he couldn't finish. He had broke his wrist, his arm, his shoulder was dislocated. My tire was bent. I get up and I'm bleeding everywhere. And this Marine comes over to me because, you know, it was on Pendleton. You can't Pendleton. We need a medic. No, no, I'm good. Don't call the medic. No, ma'am, you need, I'm like, I think I said Sergeant. I don't even know his rank. It's just military term. I was like, Sergeant, I'm an E7 MP. I was like, do not call the medics over here. I want to finish my race. He just looked at me. Roger's ass, sorry. Uh, So a medic was coming over and he's like, uh, she's good. They're like, she's profusely bleeding. And he's like, they're superficial wounds. Did they give you some bandages or something? (laughs) No bandages, girl. I didn't want anything. I wanted to finish my race. On my bike was my wobbly wheel, my bent handlebars. How many miles did you have left? You said 10? I think it was a little bit, maybe over 10 or 15 on the bike. But I get off my bike and I'm all bloody. My knee, I still have pictures. I have to find my Oceanside picture. Is like looks like an avocado is on top of my knee. And I finished that race. I, I was, yeah. But everybody was like, you are insane. that <laughs> You did have that horrible of a crash. I went to the, you know, to the ER after. They were getting gravel out of my skin and my knees and, Oh my God, it was, it was horrible, but I finished. <laughs> <laughs> From your first race, you've been determined. From my first race, I know that's my coach is like, <laughs> if you can make it through that, it's like, you can make it through anything. So tell me about your first full in Arizona. My first full in Arizona, honestly, that was a wonderful experience, but I wish that I would have been able to take in the moment better than I did because I was very, very stressed out. I did that race for my soldier. I had dedicated everybody that knows my journey through this, knows that that's why I started. You know, I was like, I do this for my brothers and sisters in arms that came home with a flag over them that can't do it because they're, you know, lost a limb or mentally can't do it. Or that's why I do this. And so that race was dedicated to him. And so I was so stressed out because I just really wanted to have a really good race. You know, it was my first. So you never know. Even though I train, I trained my ass off. I knew that I was ready, but you just never know because anything had happened in a race. I just wanted to have such a good race. You know, I wanted it to show that I did this for him. And so I was just stressed out the whole time. I'm okay. I made it through the swim. Now I want to have a good bike. I want to have a good run. I just really wanted to have a good, good race. And I didn't get to take in everything. My kids came, my best friend. Like a whole bunch of my friends came. My my dad came from Chicago. So I had so many people there. And I feel like I was just so caught up in the moment and wanting to make sure that I did this special for him that I didn't get to enjoy everything else. And that's why when I tell people you're first, take that moment in to just enjoy the moment of knowing all the hard work that you put in was for that moment. Some people sometimes like me, you get caught up in all the outside things that you don't enjoy your first race like you should. You didn't enjoy it, but tell me about it. Like swim, the bike, run. Uh, were you so focused that you don't remember? Right. Uh, well, no, the swim was cold as hell. Arizona is no joke. I would never do Arizona again. It was That water was freezing. How cold was it? Do you remember? Low 60s. Low 60s. It was dark water, like. I don't even know why it was so dark, but super dark. People just packed in because it's kind of like in a tunnel or like a mm-hmm. kind of a narrow, so super packed. 
Um, so I finally make it out the swim. And now I'm like, okay, I always hated the, the bike because I'm like, I hate the bike. I just got to make it off the bike. I always worry that I, you know, that I won't make it off the bike. Get on the bike. It's three loops. I hate three loops. For future reference, I'm like, don't pick three loop courses. Pick two or one. So it's three loops. It's boring. There's nothing out there. You're constantly fighting the wind. And then it's so weird in Arizona. It's freezing in the morning. It gets hot as hell in the afternoon. Make it off the bike. Get on the run. And on the run, it was good. I got to see my kids. They were there. You know, my my dad was there, my friends. So, and I, but I was just stressed out. You know, my son, I remember getting close to the end. He's like, mom, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm like, don't tell me you're proud. I haven't <laughs> finished yet. He's like, mom, you're so close. You're going to finish. <laughs> you're going to jinx me. <laughs> But it was a really good moment, you know, to finish. And I was just like, oh, God, you know, thank you, God, for letting me finish, giving me the mental and physical fortitude. I gave my thanks to my soldier, like, this is for you. And so it was a good moment. I still wish that I would have had a better race. And I think everybody always wishes they had a better race. But I was content with what I did because of my first time. I didn't know anything about, you know, how much, how hard to push, how hard not to push. Uh, And I definitely said I was one and done when I finished. I was like, that's this, I'm done. And then I signed up for another one. <laughs> so what, yeah, what made you sign up for another one after you said I'm money done? So I signed up for Santa Rosa because I found out that I was going to be PCSing. Explain what PCSing means for people who may not know. Oh, yeah. So PCSing basically means that my duty position is going to be moving from wherever I'm at to a new duty position. I was moving from California to Illinois. And so the people in my group were like, we're all going to sign up for Santa Rosa. And then my coach is like, you should do this race with us as, you know, like your last race. Oh yeah, actually that makes sense. I want to do one race with my whole team, like train with them, race with them. And then I'll be, you know, I'll go back home. So that's how I got caught up in that one. So yeah, FOMO. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely got caught up drinking the Kool-Aid as they say. (laughs) And, uh, Went right back into another race. So I really didn't even have off season. I just went right into training for Santa Rosa. When is Santa Rosa? What part of the year? It was May. It's Mother's Day weekend. Arizona's in November. November. Yeah. So tell me what you find to be the most joyful aspect of doing triathlon. I think the most joyful overall for me is that it gives me structure and it helps me with being able to think and being able to, when I get overwhelmed with things, sometimes, you know, I get really, really stressed out and just being able to work out and think about things when I'm working out helps me de-stress and helps me be able to like process things and think about things when you're swimming. It's so boring. You're just going back and forth. There's nothing to think about, but solve world problems, right? (laughs) Like I could solve all kinds of problems when I'm swimming Mm because it's so boring. Or if you're on your trainer, (laughs) you're not doing anything. You're stuck on your trainer for hours. Watching TV or something now. (laughs) So what made you go from one and done to how many? 13. So I think once I got to five, I was like, I might as well try for legacy. I know that I'm probably going to keep picking races. I probably should just try to do legacy. So then when I got in my head legacy, I was like, okay, I don't want to do this forever. So let me get in as many races as I can in the shortest amount of time. My first year I did two and then three and then four and then three. The year that I did four, that year was horrible. (laughs) It was like... I don't know what convinced me 
to do this many fools in one year. But I honestly was like, I think I'm done racing, even though I had gotten so many. I was so overwhelmed, so mentally and physically exhausted that I was just not even, I didn't even like to train or race or do anything anymore. I was like, I'm just over this. And then here I am. I did, I did three this year and I didn't even have to do three. So how did you wind up doing three this year after you did your 12? I qualified for Legacy at Chattanooga, which was my 12th race. I didn't have to do anything over that. Then, of course, I start talking to Zsa and John and Ev and all the people doing Cozumel, Tom. And they're like, you should do Cozumel with us. No, I don't need to do another race. They're like, it's going to be so fun. We're going to blah, blah, blah. We're going to be drinking. Of course, I'm like, drinking? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. I signed up. And I was like, why? And then I hated it because after Chattanooga, your mind automatically clicks. You don't have to race anymore. You don't have to train anymore. You know, so I was like hitting every minute of training. I literally swam like twice before I did Cosmel. I did not go to the pool. I didn't want to do anything because I was like, I don't even need to be doing this stupid race. I'm just doing it because I wanted to be with my friends and I should have just sherpa and I could have drank. Um, like Kendrick. Right, exactly. Just <laughs> Explain what Legacy Program is. Okay, yeah. So Legacy Program, which it changes next year. But before that, Basically, you do 12 races, as many races as you want, however long it takes you. You do 12 full Ironman races and you get to get a spot in the World Championships in Kona. So basically, you apply for Legacy. You do one more full the next year, which is called your validation race. And then they give you a spot to Kona. You just wait for your World Championship spot. So that's what I was able to do this year. Now, next year, they're changing it to basically you can only do one full to count towards your legacy spot. You could do as many races as you want, as many fulls as you want, but only one will count towards legacy. So basically it's going to take 12 years to do, depending on however many races you have to get a legacy spot. You can either do legacy or be rich and pay for a spot or qualify through age group to get the Kona. Yeah. So executive challenge is where you could pay you basically pay for your spot. And then I don't need, it's a lot of money. I mean, I guess you're paying the same amount when you're racing. You're just not paying all up front. Okay. So you're probably paying for 12 races. No, yeah, ones. you're paying for, if you think about it, you're paying for 12 races. You're, you're not, that's not including uh, each race. It's almost a thousand dollars. It's eight to a hundred dollars. That's not including travel. That's not including, you know, like, training your coach your meals your lodging there your everything so it probably adds up to the same probably which is still a lot but it's spread out so you can go to world championship by winning your age group or placing a certain spot it depends on the race it depends on the race like how many they have for kona so you can make it second in your age group and make it to kona so it depends yes so right now we have tenencia james and vanessa foster are the first African-American females, minority females that have went to Kona, not through legacy. Those are our, our badass females right there. <laughs> so tell me out of all your 13 races, which is the hardest race? The hardest. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's two I'm going to say are the hardest. And that was Wisconsin and Montreblanc. Wow. The bike. Yeah. So the hardest swim was Florida. 
not the hardest race, but that was the hardest swim I've ever done in my life. And I think there was like 500 people that DNF the year that I did it. That swim was horrible. And that because of that, I'll never go back to Florida. But it was like just that was a really bad swim. But Wisconsin also had a bad swim. It was very choppy. Uh, yeah, super, super choppy. But Wisconsin is the swim is hard. The bike is hard as hell. And then the run is a hilly run. So it's just overall a very, very difficult race. Hard swim, hard bike, really hard swim, really hard bike. Mantra Blanc had a great swim, but a very difficult bike. But it's the most beautiful race I've ever been at. Mantra Blanc and Coeur d'Alene are two of the most beautiful races I've ever been. Coeur d'Alene was also hot because we had ridiculous heat the year that I did it. And super high DNF rate that year, too, because people were passing out because of the heat. So what's your favorite race? Or do you have one? My favorite race? Mm-hmm. Mantra Blanc. Very beautiful. So I definitely recommend Mantra Blanc for those of you that are looking. Know that it's going to be a hard bike. Train for the hard bike. But it is a super scenic, great venue, nice little village. If you have people that want to come, this, the area, the spectator area is really nice. They have like charging booths, water stations. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was super nice. And Canada in general was just beautiful and super nice. How do you stay focused and dedicated to training with, with life and kids and work and without burning out? I mean, I think burnout is real and burnout happens. It's definitely extremely difficult being a single mom and trying to balance all of that and being in the military, working crazy schedules and trying to balance all of that out. Sometimes I just get overwhelmed and I'm like, you know, I just want to just cry because I'm like, how am I going to figure this out? But I think that it still helps with having a nice, crazy schedule, trying to get everything in and making sure that, you know, I'm very to write everything down and check my boxes down. So I try to stay very organized and on top of every little thing is written down and planned. I think that helps. I like to have the crazy and the chaos keeps me more sane than just having too much downtime. I think for me, having too much downtime allows my brain to think about stuff that I you know, shouldn't be thinking about. So like, I like to be busy and I like to keep myself very structured and like moving all the time. With all the training, after so many races, how do you stay away from injuries, major injuries? I dealt with injuries. I was dealing with like IT band issues. I was dealing with rotator cuff issues. I've done like dry needling. I've done ART, uh, which is active release therapy where they use, you know, like this metal scraper thing. Sometimes I, I know that not eating right has a lot to do with it or not sleeping enough has a lot to do with it. Your body's just tired and burnt out. And now recently, just recently, I've started having really bad back issues where I found out that my L3 and L4, I have herniated, ruptured and bulging discs. So I'm, I got a steroid shot last week. And then getting a epidural on the 16th. So that should help with my back because it's getting to the point where it's just becoming unmanageable. And so hopefully that helps because one of the bulging discs is putting pressure on my, on a nerve on my left side. And I just have like this sharp pain all the time. So they're saying that should relieve some of the back pain. And obviously back pain dealing with being on a tri bike and bent over for hours and then trying to get off your bike and run has been really putting a lot of pressure on my on my back. So hopefully this helps me not be in a lot of pain because I've just been dealing with the pain. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully it helps a lot. So even through all of your injuries, you've been able to 
keep training. You hadn't had to cancel a race because of a major injury or anything. Like no, that. I I mean, thank God it hasn't been to where I've needed surgery or I haven't been able to do exercises. I have a really high pain tolerance where I'm kind of just able just to grunt through it and muscle through it. This is the back problem is really the only thing that has really like caused me to be, I need to do something because this is very painful, but I haven't had any major injuries that have stopped me from like completely working out. So I'm thankful for that. That's good. So what are some life lessons that you've learned in the midst of a race, would you say? So I was going to put out a, um, and I might still do it, uh, something on social media, just talking about how race lessons things that I've learned. So for Cozumel, when I went, they lost my luggage and everything was in my luggage. I was so stressed out. I was crying. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to buy everything all over again. So lessons that I've learned from as far as traveling is to always keep you anything that you need race-wise, put it on a carry-on. Your nutrition, your, your cleats, your helmet, your pedals, your kit, anything that you think that you're going to need for the race, put that on a carry-on. Because if my luggage was lost and I had that, I wouldn't have even cared. But I was so stressed out that all of my stuff was in this suitcase. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I came all the way to Cosmo. Race-wise, I've learned that. I've also learned to make sure that you have a good relationship with your coach and open, if you're using a coach, an open relationship. If you don't like something or not happy with something, have those lines of communication open so that they could work with you. And if they're not willing to work with you, then you move on. But a lot of times I feel like as athletes, we feel that our coaches should know certain things and we get kind of just caught up in like, oh, they should be doing this or they should be doing this. And then they don't know that you're feeling that way. And so it's important to make sure like you keep those lines of, just like any other relationship, you keep those lines of communication open with your coach and talking to them, let them know. And let them know, like, this is my expectations. This is what I expect. Do your interviews before you accept a coach. They're basically applying for that position. You're not applying to be their athlete. They're applying to be your coach. And they need to tell you, like, what they're able to offer. And then you decide if you want them or not. So that's important. It's also important to make sure that when you're feeling overwhelmed and when you're tired, if you need a break, take a break. Even if there's something on your training plan, Sometimes your body just needs a break. I'm usually very, very strict with my training. Sometimes I just need a break and I'm like, I'm not doing shit today. Like I just need to take a breath. I need a breather. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm stressed out. Just email my coach or whatever. Like I just need a break because sometimes your body just needs a break, especially during peak season when you're so stressed and if you're working and you have kids and that's a lot to deal with. So, you know, it's like, if you feel you need a break, take a break and then don't weigh everything so heavily on your race. A lot of times we race with certain expectations and you don't meet those expectations. And after you race, you might be very disappointed. After cause, I was very disappointed. I was like starting to fall into like a very depressive state because I was like, look, I work my ass off. I know I'm better than this. I know I could have had a better time. I know I could have did this better. I know I could have did that better, but it's, you never know what's going to happen on race day. Shit happens. I got sick. I couldn't execute the plan that I wanted, but I finished. And as long as you finish, even if you don't finish, if you gave it your all, pat yourself on the back because shit, half the people in this world don't even get to the start line of an Ironman, you know? So don't beat yourself down. 
give yourself some grace, be proud of what you've done and what you've you know, accomplished. I think sometimes you just get so caught up in your head. Like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And it doesn't happen. And then you beat yourself up. Failure is good because you never want to have that feeling. You never want to feel like that again. Know that feeling, get past it, move on to make yourself better so that it doesn't happen again. But I think a lot of times we just get so caught up in what we want and expect from a race that it allows your whole mood and everything to change. So that's something that I've learned after Cosmel is like, don't put so much pressure on you and set such high expectations that when it doesn't happen, you beat yourself up so bad because it's like, look, you just did 13 Ironmans. How many people can say they've done that 13 Ironman? No, it's not the race you wanted. Yes, you could have did better. Yes, you wanted better yourself, but you finished. And it's like, you know, I just was so caught up and I wanted to have such a good race that I don't think allowing myself to be like, oh, you know, you just completed 13 Ironman. It was like, I was so caught up and feeling like a failure because I didn't have the race that I wanted and I expected for myself that I didn't allow myself to enjoy the fact that I was there with friends that I had, you know, I still finished that all that kind of stuff. So I've learned to not put that much pressure on race expectations and just be happy and content with what you're dealt with. So let me reframe my question. Life lessons, meaning something that you learn in a race that you can carry on to other aspects of your life outside of triathlon. And it's going to sound cliche, but anything is possible. That's the Iron Man motto. And it's pretty much, you see all kind of people on an Iron Man course. Anything is possible from old, young, fat, skinny, fit, not, you know, and that doesn't only apply to physical training a race that applies to like, if you want a position that you don't think that you could get or that you're qualified, do whatever you have to do to get your qualifications to get that position. Like me with, with the E8, I was, you know, waiting for a long time to, to get promoted to master sergeant. And I didn't think it was going to happen. And finally my time came, you know, I stayed persistent. And even though I didn't think it was going to happen, just like I didn't think that I was going to ever have 13 races, it eventually happened. Just <laughs> Staying persistent, staying motivated, staying the course. My podcast, Running Stupid in Therapy, is about people overcoming obstacles to make it to their finish line. Can you tell me about a significant obstacle that you've had to overcome? You mentioned a few, but I don't know if you want to share anything else that you've had to overcome in order to make it to your finish line, whatever goal that may be. Or it could be a literal finish line. (laughs) So. I mean, the biggest one I think I shared, which was being able to be in like the place that I am right now, when I didn't ever think that I was going to be able to ever be happy again. I think that being in the triathlon community and the triathlon world helped me to move into a state of like not being able to see anything outside of where I was and not wanting to like be outside of that place to being in a place where I feel that I'm in a good place now. I feel like I'm happy. I feel like I've gotten and been able to talk to other soldiers and other people about, you know, being depressed, PTSD, survivor's guilt, things like that. I think that really is like my biggest take from all of this. If it wasn't for, you know, Ironman or like triathlons, because like I said, I didn't even know what an Ironman was. I don't know, honestly, where I would be between the the friends that I've made, the community. Uh, 
definitely helped move me from being in a very, very bad place to a place where I found happiness again. If a present day Annette could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? I would say, don't be so hard on yourself. I think even as a young person, I've always been very critical and very hard on myself. And I think I have to, you know, allow myself for, for grace and allow myself to be able to enjoy moments without being so critical of everything that I do. I would just be like, just live your life without always trying to be perfect at everything. Cause I think it's like you get so caught up at wanting to be perfect. And it's not that you're in competition with anybody else, but you're in competition with yourself because you want to be the best at everything. So that's what I would definitely tell myself. Just give yourself some grace. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. That's great advice. I need to take it myself. Any last minute pearl of wisdom that you would like to share? If you need help, if you feel you're not in a good space, talk to somebody. There's always somebody that will be here to listen. It's not as bad as you think it is. You're loved. Someone cares about you. Before you decide to make a permanent decision on something, reach out to someone because trust me, someone cares about you. Someone loves you and things can always be worked out. So just know that even when you feel like there's no other way and nobody cares and you know everything is just horrible, talk to one person and they can help. Great advice. Where can my viewers find you if you want to be found? I am on Instagram, Dr. Dr. Net, N-E-T-T-15. And on Facebook, I'm Dr. Dr. Annette Malesio. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. Oh, you are life. Oh, you are love. Thank you, and please tune in again.